And if you've already taken a look at the passage we're looking at this morning, your header might say something like, riches are meaningless. But I don't think that does this section justice at all. Because Solomon's actually taking a step back and looking at, he's pondering, what gives meaning to life as a whole? What are the things in life worth prioritizing? Solomon does talk about riches, but he doesn't just give this blanket statement that riches are meaningless. Instead, he says, if riches or the pursuit of riches controls or defines your life, that's meaningless. That doesn't give meaning to our lives. Solomon wants us to see that we must prioritize our lives, including our money, in a godly manner. That, Solomon says, is good. That holds weight in our lives and in the eternal kingdom. And that is what we're going to be digging into this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Ecclesiastes 5. The Pew Bible is on page 463. If you don't have a Bible or know someone that doesn't have one, you can uh, feel free to take the one that's there in the pew. The text this morning is rather long, so just get those thinking caps and listening caps on, and we will um, go through. So Ecclesiastes 5, starting in verse 8. Hear the word of the Lord. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things, for one official is eyed up is eyed by another, a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This, too, is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor, so they lack nothing their hearts desire. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them and strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. A man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. It comes without meaning. It departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does that man even if he lives a thousand years twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity. Do not all go to the same place? Everyone's toil is for their mouth, 
yet their appetite is never satisfied. What advantage have the wise over fools? What do the poor gain by knowing how to conduct themselves before others? Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I always get the really uplifting and encouraging texts when I teach. So if you were following along, Solomon isn't just making this point that riches are meaningless. There are really two broader focuses here. He's looking at, okay, what, what are these meaningless things or these great evil things in our lives, and what are things that are good? Now, I don't know about you. I'm a bad news first kind of person. So let's tackle what are the meaningless things that Solomon's presenting to us. And the overarching meaninglessness that Solomon is addressing in this passage is placing too high a priority in your life on riches or the pursuit of riches. And again, I want to be very clear. It's not that riches in and of themselves are, are bad. Solomon is not saying that. But if, the, if riches or the pursuit of riches defines and controls us, that's what Solomon is saying is meaningless. And we see this right away in verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. And this makes me think of when Paul says in 1 Timothy that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not that money itself is the root of all kinds of evil, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And we see that word love again here in Ecclesiastes. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. If money is the central factor in our lives, if it's the reason that we're living, we'll never have fulfillment because we'll never have enough money. I'm someone who likes to save. I'm a saver. I'd rather save money than spend it. But the Bible doesn't tell us to be a cheer cheerful saver. It tells us to be cheerful givers. And I don't think it's wrong to save money. But like, like Solomon says, if saving money is what defines me, or that, that number in, in, that, in the bank account is what is controlling my life, I'm living a meaningless life because I'm living a selfish life. And a selfish life is a meaningless life. And we see another picture of this in verses 13 to 17. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They can take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their, all their, oh, since they toil for the wind, all their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Has anyone seen the movie Schindler's List? Anyone? If you haven't seen it, I'm about to spoil it for you, so I'm sorry. I'm not that sorry, though, because it came out in 1993, so you've had, <laughs> had a lot of time to watch it. And if, if you haven't seen it, um, it's rated R for a reason, so if you're going to watch it, watch it with some accountability. Schindler's List is based on a true story that takes place during World War II, and it follows a man named Oscar Schindler. Now, Schindler is a greedy, selfish businessman, and he's a womanizer, but 
during the middle of the movie, he has a change of heart. And he uses his power and his status as a businessman to turn his factory into a safe haven for Jews. And at the end of the movie, there's this incredibly powerful scene because the war is over and Schindler has saved around 1,100 Jews from Auschwitz. In the final scene, he's surrounded by all 1,100 people that he's saved. And they're, they're trying to thank him for saving them, but he just breaks down into tears. And he breaks down because he realizes that he could have saved more. He points to his fancy car and says, why did I keep this? Why did I keep this fancy car? I could have sold it, and that would have been 10 more people, 10 more Jews I could have saved. And then he pulls off his gold pin, off his jacket, and he says, this, this is gold. This is pure gold. I could have saved at least one more person. One more person. One more person that's now dead. And he, he falls to his knees and weeps bitterly. And it, it's just this it's an intensely moving scene from this movie, but it's something that I, I imagine that might happen to us when we're faced, at the end of our lives, when we're before the throne in heaven and we kind of are looking back. I imagine we'll look back over our lives and I imagine that, man, we might have go through something sim similar that Schindler did. Why did I live for these meaningless things when I could have done so much more that would have held weight in eternity in the kingdom of heaven? When we can keep that picture that picture of what, what it will be like when we stand before Christ. If we can hold on to that and think about heaven and, and have that kind of eternal perspective, when we can recognize that the things that we do in our lives that hold weight in eternity, it changes the way we prioritize and live our lives, or at least it should. Jesus has words for us in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's the key for us. Where is our treasure this morning? What matters most to us? Is it something temporary? Or is it something eternal? And when we can keep eternity in focus, it changes the way we think, the way we speak, and the way we act. And Solomon dives into this as well. He doesn't just say, all right, here's all the meaningless stuff, and then kind of leave us hanging. He, gives, he talks about ways that we can maintain an eternal perspective on money and life. Starting in verse 18, he says, this is what I have observed to be good that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to, to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possession, possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. And two things really stick out to me in this passage as ways to have a godly perspective on life. And the first is simple. It's contentment. Contentment. Being content with what we have, whether we have a little or we have a lot. And the second is related to that because when we're content with what we have, I mean, what happens? We can actually enjoy what we have. 
when we're content, we can enjoy what we have. And when we're so worried about what's next in our life, I mean, how can I make more money? How can I have a better vacation? How can I get a better car, a better house, a better job? I mean, we're so, when we're so caught up in these earthly, temporary things, not only are we not content, and not only can we not enjoy what we already have, but our eyes are just focused on ourselves, on me. We lose sight of the world around us and lose sight of the needs of the people that God has placed in the world around us and in our lives. We start worrying about earthly, temporary things and lose sight of the ways that we could affect eternity, affect the kingdom of heaven. When we are content and enjoy what we have, our eyes can move away from us and ourselves and what we don't have and back towards an eternal frame of mind and what we can do for the kingdom for eternity right now. Have any of you ever been to a Christian church in a third world country or maybe seen like pictures and videos? I mean, the first thing that, that I, I mean, you, can, you might notice that, man, these people just don't have a lot. I mean, they don't have, you know, projectors and sound systems. They might not even have seats or electricity or anything like that. But, but what do you notice? And they're smiling. These people know joy, true joy. I mean, but, but why? They might not even, they might not know where their next meal is coming from or if they'll have clean water for them and their families. And yet, they're able to smile. They're able to sing and they're able to praise the name of Jesus. If we can be like them and move past our worries, our anxieties, what we don't have, and learn to be content and enjoy what we do have, what we have been given by God, we'll step out of this, the, the meaningless things that consume us and we'll step into the eternal life that we're called to live right now. Jesus again has words for us in Matthew 16, verses 24 to 26. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their souls? There's a lot of meaningless things that I live for on a day-to-day -day basis. But if I truly want to follow Jesus, if I want to truly be able to have an eternal kingdom-minded focus on my life, I have to deny those meaningless things. I have to die to them and let them go because I can't carry these meaningless things and carry my cross at the same time. And we can't take these meaningless things with us into eternity. So why? Why do they matter so much to us now? Why are we living for these meaningless things? We must ask the Spirit to help us change our perspective, to help us shift our eyes away from these things that don't matter in eternity, the things we're living for, so that we can prioritize eternal things. And that's the only way we'll be able to reflect the eternal kingdom of God in all that we think, say, and do. I mean, let's be honest. Ecclesiastes has been a hard book. It's been, a, it's been a tough couple of months um, going through this. 
And today, today's no different. I mean, if anything, Ecclesiastes makes it abundantly clear that we need a Savior. We need Jesus. I mean, Jesus, Jesus accomplished what Oscar Schindler couldn't accomplish. Jesus died for everyone so that everyone would have the opportunity to be saved. And Jesus always had eternity in focus when he lived. And because of that, he, he's laid the groundwork for us to be able to keep an eternal perspective and out of that, live a life similar to the life that he led. We can only love because he first loved us. And I, I don't know where each of you are at with your walks with Jesus, but I believe that we all have times when we prioritize things above God. And I know that there are times when we lose sight of eternity, of what's ultimately important, and turn our eyes towards meaningless things. I mean, goodness, it's, it's so easy to get distracted these days with, with cell phones, smartphones, internet, TV. I mean, there's, you name it. There are distractions everywhere. And for me, I mean, when I engage with this text, I can't help but going back to my obituary. That one-sided half sheet of paper that we'll have left. What's it going to say? I know what I want it to say, but what's it going to say? As Pastor Chris said a couple weeks ago, so we're not, we're not called to leave a legacy. We're called to leave a testimony. Our obituary should be a testimony of Jesus' work in us and through us. It should tell of how we reflected eternity in all we thought, said, and did. Because when we live for ourselves, we're living this closed-off, self-centered, and ultimately shallow life. But when we can open up and share with the people in our lives that we have been given by God, we're allowing the Lord to write a testimony of grace in us and through us right now. We must ask the Spirit to help us prioritize Christ so that we can keep our perspective on thinking, saying, and doing things that hold weight in the eternal kingdom of God. That's what Oscar Schindler learned at the end of World War II. I mean, he went from being this shrewd businessman to opening up his hands and using all he had accumulated for the sake of others. I mean, it changed his life and it saved the lives of 1,100 people. And there, there was a switch for him, a switch between writing a legacy and writing a testimony. What would that switch look like for us? What would it take for us to have that switch in perspective, that switch in priorities? How can we begin allowing the Lord to write a testimony in us and through us. We're writing our obituaries right now. Every thought, every word, every action, we are writing the story of our lives right now. Do we want to be remembered for, for how much money we, we were able to make? Or do we want to be remembered for how much we were, we were able to give? Do we want to be remembered for having for, for working so hard for everything we had? Or do we want to be remembered for working so hard to put others before ourselves?
Do we want to be remembered for being the very best at our jobs? Or do we want to be remembered for being the best at loving and serving the family and friends that God has put around us? One day, someone you love will read and perhaps write your obituary. What do you want it to say?